I'm going to be aware of the time, but I want to go to John, the book of John, chapter 20, verses 1 through 7. John chapter 20, it says, Early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, who was John, he's the one writing this, the one whom Jesus loved. She said, they've taken the body of the tomb. I can't imagine that she was just like, yeah, hey guys, I think they, they took the body in. Like, she was probably like, they took the body out of the tomb and I don't know where they put him. Peter and the other disciple, they, ran, they started off for the tomb. They were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter. If I was writing a gospel, I would have slipped that in too. You know, like me and Luke were running to the tomb and I outran him. And I'd have slipped in that important detail there. And so, and they're running. He reached the tomb first and says, he stooped and looked in and saw linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter, he went inside. You know, we all know Simon, if you've read the Bible. If somebody stops here, Simon goes on another mile. Like, he's like, like you can't wash my feet, Lord. And then he's like, well, you're, if, you're, if I don't wash your feet, you're going to have no part of my kingdom. He's like, well, wash my hands and my head and my body and my shoulder. Like, so Peter's over the top. So he's going in, and he noticed the linen wrappings lying there while the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. This morning on Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, for just a little few minutes before we go and have family time and go out and do whatever we're going to do in a candy rain, I want to just talk to you about this topic. He will be back. He will be back. Lord Jesus, thank you for all the great reports. We've celebrated already this morning. We felt your power, your presence. We sang songs. We, we felt you. You're here. You're doing great things. And what's awesome is, is all the great things we've already celebrated, that's not where the ending point. There's, there's more chapters in the story. And so we're, we're so thankful for your blood. We're thankful for your resurrection. God, speak through me. Let our hearts and minds be open in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. This opening story is what we're here to celebrate today. This is it. I mean, Jesus Christ rose from the dead. He defeated death, hell, and the grave. Our lives were forever changed. Eternity looks different because of, because of this story. But why in the world does John make it a point? I know why he says, I outran Peter. That's cool. I understand. But why does he make it a point to tell us, yeah, and then, and then there was another cloth that had covered Jesus' head, and that was folded up, lying apart from the linen cloths, the other cloths. Why does, he, why does he pause to sit and tell us this information, this detail? Why is it emphasized? Why does it matter? The linen grave clothes, they were just tossed aside, you know? Anybody that has young kids, they're Bible believers, because if you walk in their room, you will find their clothes just tossed aside. We have a bunch of Bible-believing children here at Refuge Church. They were just tossed aside, but the face covering is in a different place. It's folded up, almost strategically placed. What could this mean? Well, there's, there's all kinds of opinions on this. And, and one of the, the thoughts I found while researching is this, and it makes sense to me based on what I researched. The Bible takes an entire verse to tell us about a napkin, essentially, that is neatly folded, placed separate from the grave clothes. You know, housekeeping didn't come in and do that. You ever stay in one of those fancy hotels and you walk in, there's like, there's a, a, a swan on my bed. It's a towel that looks like a bird. How much time? It would take me like two and a half hours to clean every room because I'm a perfectionist and I'd be working on the, now nah, I, I want to fix the beak a little bit, you know? Early Sunday morning while it's dark, Mary Magdalene runs in. The stones roll away. She finds Peter. Peter and John get there. Peter outruns the other disciple. He goes inside. He notices all these, oh, there's the folded cloths. Why? Why are you telling me this? Cut to the chase. Give me the Reader's Digest version, right? The Bible tells, takes a verse to tell us about it. And so for that fact, I would say it's absolutely important. In order to understand the significance of a folded napkin, maybe we need to understand just a little bit about Hebrew tradition in that day. Because it was all had to do with the master-servant relationship. 
It appears that every Jewish boy knew this tradition. When the servant set the dinner table for the master, that servant made sure that it was exactly the way the master wanted it. The, the table was furnished perfectly. And then the servant would wait out of sight until the master had finished eating. At that moment, the servant would not dare touch the table until the master was finished. Now, if the master were done eating, here's what he would do. He would rise up from the table, wipe his fingers with the napkin, right? I'm glad I had a handkerchief in my pocket. That was not strategically planned. I have not used this, by the way, yet. The master would wipe his hands and his mouth, clean his beard. Beards are biblical. And then he would wad up the napkin and toss it on the table. At that point, only after that last step, the servant then knew it's time for me to move in because when he wadded up, the towel, and threw it on the table that was signifying something. You know what that message was? I'm done. I'm finished. But if the master got up from the table, and folded his napkin and proceeded to lay it beside the plate, that also spoke a message. The folded napkin meant I'll be back. I'm, I'm not done. I'm just stepping away for a moment, but then I'll be returning here momentarily. So knowing this Hebrew tradition, look back at the passage we just read, and it says they were both one running, and they walked in, and the, and the linen clothes were over there, and then there was the folded headcloth was on, this, on the different part. But what happens immediately after that in verse 8? Then the disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in. Peter led the way, and John came, and he also went in and saw and believed. What did he see that made him believe. What? That insinuates something. He's standing outside the tomb, walks in. What did he see that spoke something to him that made him believe? For until then, they still hadn't understood the scriptures that Jesus must rise from the dead. And then they went home. I love that. Just nice and succinct. Succinct. They went, they saw, they believed, then they went home. Oh, great. Kind of like, and with this, they crucified him. Do you understand what the depth of those little couple of words? The crucifixion was a huge thing. Matthew just says, and then they crucified him. And they went in the greatest thing in history. Oh, wow. He's, they believed the resurrection took place, and then they went home. It appears, though, that that folded headcloth spoke something so clearly to those disciples because they didn't even, Scripture, they didn't realize about the death and the resurrection. But when they walked in, they saw something in that tomb that said, oh, wow, I believe now. What could that message have been? I'm not done. I'm coming back soon. You see, our master is coming back. The New Testament believers in the city of Corinth were apparently nervous about afterlife and death. They talked about it constantly. So Paul, in his writings, he was dealing with it regularly because these his first letter to the Corinthians and second letter to the Corinthians, he would he would people were asking him questions. So he would write a letter in response to some of their concerns. And so in 1 Corinthians 15, 12, he says, Tell me this, since we preach that Christ rose from the dead. Why are some of you saying there will be no resurrection of the dead? So obviously we can insinuate people were saying there's no such thing as resurrection. 
And so it says, for if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then all of our preaching is useless and your faith is useless. Paul is going as far as to say, if we don't have the resurrection, we don't have religion, we don't have relationship, we don't have savior, we don't have deity, nothing. Everything that we base our whole lives on in our walk with God is totally worthless without what we celebrate here today. The resurrection is the largest component of the message. No, no, no. You'll have people say, I, I disagree. No way. The cross the cross is the crux of the message. To which I would respond, what does the cross... There were millions of people crucified on crosses. What does the cross accomplish without the victory of the resurrection that shows the defeat of death, hell, and the grave? The resurrection is what set... Jesus apart from everybody else that said they were the Messiah at that time. Without resurrection, there is no hope past this earthly life. What you see is what you get. This is the best you're going to experience. Some of you are like, cool, I'm all right with that. And others of you are like, no. But that can't be the case. That cannot because I've had a great life so far in my years that are somewhere less than 80. I've had a great life. The Bible points to a picture of better things on the horizon, though. 1 Corinthians 2.9 says, this is what Scripture means when it says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined the things God has prepared for those who love Him. I'm talking about your greatest day, your most magnificent time, greatest vacation, the bliss of your marriage. None of that compares to what Christ has for us. Amen. Revelation 21. Anyone here right now that there's somewhere in your body from head to toe that you feel an ache, there's a physical pain, that there's something right now that's just kind of aching you. Raise your hand if you, this makes me feel good, I'll tell you, okay? This makes me, raise your hand high. All right, so, all right, so if I could preach another message, getting old stinks, but that's a different day. All right, but, but it says here in Revelation 21.3, I heard a loud shout from heaven, the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them. They will be his people. God himself will be with them. Brother Foster did a great job talking about that this morning. But then he says, he, not a representative, he himself will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will be no more death. God's going to call us home and we're never, ever again going to attend a funeral. But then he says, there will be no more sorrow or crying or pain. We get a, we get a whole new body. No more pain. Man. Chad, we're going to play basketball all night long. <laughs> Without the resurrection, there's no hope for eternal future. Well, yeah, but the cross. No, no, no. Without the resurrection, there's no hope. We have a Savior who shed blood but didn't defeat things. The resurrection is the finality of the story. It's the final victory. The resurrection is what gives me hope in passages like these. Look what Paul went on to say to the Corinthian church. He stated that everything they believed was totally useless outside the, without the resurrection. In 1 Corinthians 15, 50, he says, What I'm saying, dear brothers and sisters, is that our physical bodies cannot inherit the kingdom of God. These dying bodies cannot inherit what will last forever. So, you want to talk about a depressing message? Just sit tight. We're closer to death. Hang on. We're even closer to dying now. Wow, wow. thanks for the uplifting encouragement today, Pastor. 
That's the hope we have. It does not matter how great your life is, how much money you have, where you live, what you have in retirement, how great your job is. You are now closer to death than you were just a moment ago. And so if this world is your hope and your home and your goals, kind of stinks. But when he rose from the grave and the grave was empty, I now go, wow, he shed blood, he defeated death, hell, and the grave, and now there is eternity on the horizon for me. That it does not matter what happens on this life if I am faithful to God, if I love him and pursue him and serve him. One day I will be in a place where we will never have another funeral. There will never be a, a pulled hamstring and a broken ankle, but I will be in the presence of the Lord forever and ever and ever ever and ever thank you Jesus for that but then he goes on he says he says but because because that's a pretty depressing way to start a letter you know and yeah and so uh, your, your bodies can't inherit what but he says but let me reveal to you a wonderful secret we're not going to die. We're going to be transformed. It will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet's blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever. And we who are living will also be transformed. For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. I'm immortal. We'll never die. Our mortal bodies are transformed into immortal. Then when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, the scripture will be fulfilled. I think we read it today. Death is swallowed up for victory. Or we, we sang it today, I believe. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Yeah, that's kind of awesome. It's like someone writes this passage and is talking trash to death. You know, you ever get in a, like a schoolyard fight and be like, man, it's all you got. Bring it. I mean, I didn't. I heard friends do that. But, but, you know, you imagine, like, you're talking trash to death. Like, death, where's your sting? Are you for real, man? This is all you got? This is it? Because guess what, death? Keep bringing it, because I'm about to live forever. For sin is the sting that results in death, and the law gives the sin its power. But thank God... He gives us victory. How? Over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. Folks, because he rose again, so can we. Because he defeated death, so can we. Because he lives forever, so can we. That gives me hope today. And this strong hope characterized the outlook of the early Christians. They were able to endure their suffering because their eyes were fixed on something beyond this life. That is probably the single greatest weakness of every Christian. Spirit-filled, unspirit, not spirit-filled. It's probably the greatest single weakness of Christianity in the world today is that our eyes are fixed on temporary things rather than eternal. That is the single greatest issue. Well, yeah, but you should preach about sin and preach about worship and giving and serving. No, no, no. The single greatest thing that, that plagues us is we are fixated on the here and now instead of the things that last forever and ever. But the first century Christians, they were able to endure suffering because their eyes were fixed on something that was beyond this life. So people were willing to be killed for what they believe. They were willing to be martyred. What would make someone say, oh yeah, beat me with a club, drag me to death, fillet me alive, chop my head off, crucify me upside down. I'm fine with that. What would make someone be willing to do that? Because they knew, this is just one chapter. My life is but a vapor. <sighs> Blow out a candle, that little smoke, that's it. Now I go to an eternal place where I will forever be in the presence of the Lord. Their mindset was different. So what fear was there in you if you believed that the end of your physical life was really not the end? 
That's why they actually, for, you, you read historical accounts about how they had to tell people, stop. You, you, no, we can't have everyone be martyrs. People were willing to line up to be killed for the cause of Christ because they truly believed, I'm just going to be resurrected. But the first century church, needed to, that message needed to be spread. So they actually had to try historical accounts show that they had to say, no, no, we can't have everyone be martyred. Imagine that. Today, we're just like, come to church next Sunday. Be here at 10. Wow. But you read 2 Corinthians 4.14. We know that God, who raised the Lord Jesus, will also raise us with Jesus and present us to himself together with you. Seeing Christ risen from the dead, dying on a cross, hearing what we heard from Brother Foster, the mutilation, the, the, the not, not even recognized as a human being, thrown in a grave, and all of a sudden, he appears unto you. That is the single greatest thing that changed their life, lives more than anything else in history. Seeing and hearing about what happened on Calvary. And all of a sudden, he shows up with holes, and here's my side. And now he's alive, and he's talking to them. That is what caused them to change the whole world upside down. Seeing him, it's the single greatest thing. The resurrection changed everything for them. Without the resurrection, we don't have an explosion of growth in the first century church. The resurrection changed the course of history. And, and this is what Paul was teaching in, in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, verse 23, but there's an order to this resurrection. Christ was raised as the first of the harvest. Then all who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. Guess who he's talking about? He's the first part of the harvest, but just like he was raised, that gives me hope now. And this is what the New Testament church clung to over and over as they went through life's trials. Anybody have a trial recently? I guess what? We are not facing, we're facing trials, but nothing like what they faced in the first century. And this is what they clung to in 2 Corinthians 1. We think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia. We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure. Can anybody relate to that? You ever just gone through something that just crushes you and overwhelms you and you're like, man, my God, I hope I can make it through this. He says, we were crushed beyond our ability to endure. We didn't think we were going to live through it. Now we're facing some of that, right? In fact, we expected to die. But as a result, as a result, oh wait, whoa, 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 whoa. As a result, you mean to tell me God's going to use some trials and some suffering to sometimes bring a result that actually benefits the church? Folks, you mean to tell me that God sometimes lets us go through some things that God is able to accomplish his will in the church because of that? He says, in fact, we expected to die, but as a result of that, we stopped relying on ourselves. And we learned to rely only on God. Why does God move in that other country in a way he doesn't move here? Because that country is already living a life where they only rely on God. We are living lives where we lie, rely a little on God, but then a whole bunch on our employer and our retirement and our pocketbooks. He says, who raises the dead? Then you go to 2 Corinthians 4, 16. This is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying. Yep, you're in the process of dying. If you're a guest, you're like, my Lord, I don't want to go back to that church. All these preaching is... We're, Scientifically, physically, we understand we're dying. Physically, we're closer to death than when I started this message. But, he says, our bodies are dying, but our spirits, 
are being renewed every single day for our present troubles are small and they won't last very long. Yeah, but I'm in the middle of a pandemic. It feels so huge. It feels like it's never ending. Our problems are small and they will not last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things that we see now, they will soon be gone. But the things that we cannot see will last forever. If you're in the middle of just feeling consumed and beat down and suffering and stressed and anxious, maybe you just need to step back from the situation. Just, you know, just like push it out of the way. Just get it out of the way and go, okay. I'm not even going to be here long. I'm not even going to be here long. I'm passing through. This is a moment of my life, but I can't get stressed and consumed with the things that don't really matter. It matters, but, but that right there, this is not where I'm spending eternity. That is in the next phase after I pass from this life and I breathe my last breath. That's not the end of Gary Dornbach. I now am going to be in the presence of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. No more funerals. No more pain no more crying no more dying and that is only possible because of what we celebrate on Easter Sunday because Jesus Christ died on a cross and he stepped out of a grave and he didn't just give hope for himself he gave hope for every single believer throughout the next several thousand years who are going to live for him and love him Gloria Gaither. Anybody know the Gaither vocal band? Maybe you've heard of them. I'm not going to ask if you like them because it doesn't matter. It's just a story, okay? If I says who doesn't like them, the people who like them, they're really, really, really passionate about them, so they might hit you because a lot of people like them, okay? But I believe he's now 85 and she's 79. They're two of the most prolific and popular southern gospel music writers and performers in the world. Arguably, the most popular of all their songs. Notice I said arguably, okay? Don't get into me. We'll talk later. But the song is entitled, Because He Lives. There's an interesting story behind it. Bill and Gloria launched a full-time music ministry together in the 1960s. Without asking anything too personal, was there anyone alive in the 1960s? Just raise your hand if you were alive in the 1960s. Okay? <laughs> Some of you got your hand up proud, and some of you got it down like right here. I don't know. You haven't fully accepted your birthday yet, but that's all right. The 1960s was an amazing, godly time filled with a revival and anointing and spiritual growth, right? Not so much, right? A lot of crazy stuff took place. I wasn't there, but I read a lot about it. I want you to know, have that on record, I was not there. <laughs> but the 60s, it was a, a chaotic era, and the quantum shift in values was deeply disturbing to Bill and Gloria. They had begun to wonder if God had given up on the world. The winter of 1969 was particularly a bleak one for them. Not only had the Indiana winter been a long and hard one with the north wind blowing even more fierce than usual for that region, but Bill had been stricken with a severe case of mono. At the same time, Gloria and some of the other members of their church family encountered some painful false accusations and belittlement. She remembers sitting in their living room in agony and fear on New Year's Eve. And across the nation, the educational system was being Ill infiltrated with the, the God is dead idea. Drug abuse and racial tension were increasing. The older generation felt that the country's best days were behind them, and the, their baby boomer children agreed, yet both felt that the others were to blame. This sounds so familiar to me. It was about this time Bill and Gloria discovered they had a baby on the way. 
Wonderful news, but it was concerning to them. Was it really a wise thing to bring a baby into this world? One sunny day in the early spring, Gloria and Bill's father, George, walked across the the paved parking lot at their small A-frame office, and George called Bill and Gloria's attention to a spot that they had not noticed. And he pointed out a tiny blade of grass, just one tiny blade of grass that had pushed aside layers of dirt, rock, and concrete to reach the sunshine of the world above. It had such a strong will to live. It overcame odds to fulfill its destiny. And the blade of grass, one blade of grass of God's creation, spoke such a powerful message to Bill and Gloria. Inspired them to write a song about the hope in the midst of chaos and sinfulness and values that were diminishing. And they, just one blade of grass, God spoke. And they wrote these words, God sent his son. They called him Jesus. He came to love, heal, and forgive. He lived and died to buy my pardon. An empty grave is there to prove my Savior lives. And then he's saying, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. No doubt many of you have the, the tune in your head right now. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds my, the future. And life is worth the living just because he lives. And then they said, how sweet to hold a newborn baby. Feel the pride and joy he gives. But greater still, the calm assurance this child can face on certain days because he lives. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future and life is worth the living just because he lives. And the last verse was, and then one day, I'll cross the river. I'll fight life's final war with pain. And then as death gives way to victory, I'll see the lights of glory and I'll know he lives. Because he lives. Because he lives. Because I know And life is worth the living just because he lives Thank you, Jesus And as I bring this to a close, this, this is the exact same attitude first century believers had. In the Greco-Roman world in which they lived, immortality was a common belief. That wasn't out of the ordinary. But resurrection was. So most people didn't believe in it. But Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 1, For we know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, that is, we die, we leave our body, we will all have a house in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God himself. Not made with human hands. We grow weary in our present bodies. And the church said, amen. amen. And we long to put our heavenly bodies on like new clothes. For we will put on our heavenly bodies. We will not be spirits without bodies. There you go. You want to know what it's going to look like? I don't know for sure, but we, we will not be spirits without bodies. We will have a resurrected body. Well, what does that mean? I can't wait to find out. While we live in these earthly bodies, we groan and sigh, some of us more than others, right? But it's not that we want to die and get rid of these bodies and that clothe us. Rather, we want to put on our new bodies, and these dying bodies will be swallowed up by life. God himself, look at how he closes this, has prepared us for that. He just described the glorified body. He says, God prepared us for this. And as a guarantee, what did he do? He gives us the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost. That is a preparation for the glorified body. He, it's right there. Notice he fills us with the Spirit. His Spirit inside of us is crucial to resurrection. 
This is not my denomination, my religion. Let's look scripturally as we close this up. Remember, rabbis were all over. They were dime a dozen. They were people claiming, claiming to be the Messiah. They were all over the place. But this one was different. Jesus was different because he was put to death. And, and many other people were labeled heretics of that day. But only one rose from the dead. Everybody said, I'm the Messiah, I'm the Savior. Some were crucified, but only one walked into a grave and then walked out of a grave. And folks, Christ's victory over death is what gives us eternal hope today. But the only way that we have eternal hope is to follow his plan. What does that mean? Well, what was the plan for his own life? It was death, burial, and resurrection. So if that was his plan, guess what? It's the same for you. Death, burial, and resurrection. But I'm not talking about just a regular death. I'm talking about a dying out in repentance. Lord, I am sorry. Forgive me of my sins. And look what burial is. Romans 6, 4. Paul writes and says, for we died and we were buried with Christ. How? He tells us there is nothing to figure out here. It's spelled out. When we died to ourselves, we repented of sins. We were buried with Christ in baptism. So guess what? Easter Sunday would be an amazing time to take on the name of Jesus and to get baptized in this wonderful, clean, warm water. And you can, you can take on the name of Jesus. You can be buried with him in the waters of baptism. And it says, and, and Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father. Since we now have been united with him in his death. This is not just some religious thing joining the church. We're actually uniting with him in his death. It says, when we are crucified with sin, it says, or, um, we will also be raised to life as he was. So that means he has resurrection planned for us. After we're buried in baptism, it's sounds to me like he's got resurrection planned for us. Well, what is that? That's the infilling of the Spirit. Look, it says, verse 7, when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. Since we died with Christ, we know we're going to live with him. We're sure of this because why? Because of the resurrection! Christ was raised from the dead. He'll never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. When he died, he died one time to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So guess what that means for you? You should also consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin. But then Romans 8.10. Christ lives within you. So even though... He's talking to people who have been filled with his, with, this is the church. People who had already received his spirit. They're spirit-filled people. He says, Christ lives in you. Through your body. You're going to die because of sin. The spirit gave you life. But look at verse 11. The spirit of God, who raised Jesus from the dead, what we celebrate today, lives in you. The same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead is inside of you right now. Do you realize that? And if you don't have that, you don't have to leave this Easter Sunday morning without having it. And look what it says. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies. How is he going to do that? I'm thankful Paul told us. Just like he, that spirit rose Jesus from the dead, he's going to raise you one day too from the dead. How? By the same spirit living within you. If you have never been filled with the spirit of God, the biblical way of speaking in tongues, it is scriptural. This is not a denominational study. This is not a personal belief. Scripturally, we see this. He says, I want to put my spirit in you, align with my death, my burial, and that you can come to an altar today, repent of your sins, we'll baptize you in that name of Jesus and bury those sins under the water, submerge and gross, cover up those sins. You'll come out of there with new life, resurrection, and he will fill you with his spirit if you so desire. And that same spirit 
is the one that makes resurrection possible one day. And as you stand to your feet, 1 Peter 1.3, he says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's by his great mercy that we have been born again. New birth. There it is. Water and spirit. New birth. Born again. Because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, now we live with great expectation. The resurrection is what gave them hope in the first century. It was the centerpiece of their whole message. Hey, just like he raised, we're going to be raised too. And then verse 23, for you have have been born again. Notice it is so he's talking to people. You're going to be resurrected. His spirit's going to, but he's, he's, a, he's making the assumption here. He's saying, but you've been born again. He's, he's talking to born again believers, people who have followed that death, burial, and resurrection. This is not an exclusive company. If you're here and you say, I've never done that. It's not like, well, it's us and you're out there. No, no, no. Today, God has died on that cross. He paid a price for sins. If you will bring him your sins and say, God, forgive me. I'm sorry. I want to die out to my sins. And you step in this water. He'll wash those sins away. You can be buried with him in baptism. And then if you so desire, you say, God, I want to receive that spirit that I've heard about today. He will put his spirit inside of you. And it is by that spirit that resurrection will take place. It's by that spirit that one day the trumpet's going to sound. And the dead in Christ are going to rise first. And those who are still alive and remain will be caught up in the, in the clouds with the Lord. And we will be with him forever. And there will never be another funeral. And there will never be another achy joint or pain in the back. We're going to be with the Lord forever and ever. And so I invite you on this Easter Sunday morning, on this Resurrection Sunday morning, get yourself ready for the resurrection. He already paved the way for you to respond. And right now is your moment to make a choice of how you will respond today. And I invite you right now to begin to move about and find a place to pray. I'm telling you, if you've never been baptized, bury those sins in baptism. Come see me. We'll talk about it. If you want the Spirit, just come tell me say you know what i want the spirit i don't give it to you but i'll pray with you and other people will and i'm telling you it's a promise god will fill you with his spirit thank you jesus thank you jesus
so much for joining us today. There are so many online options for you to tune into, and so I'm really grateful that you chose Refuge Church. Just a reminder, every Wednesday at 7 p.m. and every Sunday morning at 10 a.m., we have a live stream option available to you. 
For more information about the church or anything else that we have to offer, please visit refugechurchonline.com.